Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, a podcast that's almost never about race relations. Almost. Book number 69, Friend Against Friend. What's happening between Neil and Andy? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries. I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and joining me for a very special episode of Sweet Valley <laughs> Diaries, I have Callie Baker Johnson back on the mic once again. Hello, Callie. Hey, I'm uh, excited to be back for my second appearance. I'm excited I got asked back. Oh, good. Well, I've been wanting to ask you back. You were on the show, like I guess, fairly early on. It was a book about Betsy Martin. Um, it was like after like Trisha Martin is sick and Betsy Martin is her sister and she's like a troubled like the characters in that book none of them it are sounds, in this book. <laughs> it sounds for, vaguely familiar. Except for maybe like Carol Walker is briefly in this book and the Wakefield twins, of course. I was trying to remember the book I read last time, like as I was reading this one, and I I could not remember anything about it for life of me. But I will not be forgetting this book for a while. <laughs> oh my god. Um, okay, so I want a little bit of story time uh, for and a glimpse into Marissa Flaxbart, producer of <laughs> Sweet Valley Diaries. I've talked about this a bit before this season. When I sit down and I start the new season, I look at all the books that are coming. And I looked at this season and I was like, huh, uh-oh, this might be a little bit hard. <laughs> because two things are happening. One, I haven't read any of these books before now. Like, I had read through book 50. And book 50 is actually an interesting book because it's about Jade Wu and it actually does end up being about a character's issue with like her own kind of, it, it, she's a Chinese American character. She's trying to uh, assimilate basically. And so the book is very much dealing with that, but it's also doing that through what feels like a weird 80s lens. But I had read that book. So when I invited Allison Chen to be on the show on that episode, I knew what I was inviting her into. Mm-hmm. This season, I'm looking through the books, and I'm like, all I have to go on, really, is the covers and, like, the descriptions in the back of the book. And we had a book that started out this season that was about a character named Patty Jenkins and her boyfriend. And it was the first, because it was the first book that was about a black character in the whole series. Book 61. Oh, only so a couple before this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And Andy Jenkins, who you mentioned uh, in the subtitle, What's Happening Between Neil and Andy, that's Andy Jenkins. The Neil in question is a character named Neil Fremont, not a major character, but he's the boyfriend of Penny Ayala. He's been in a book before, also kind of making some questionable decisions, as I recall in that book, where he's like involved in a prank against Penny, but then they end up falling in love. And he has like an asshole friend. Anyway, this is like table setting because I I, <laughs> I feel like I want to both remind Kelly and let the listeners know about the, um, I would say, preemptively apologetic tone with which I emailed you <laughs> <laughs> to invite you to be on this episode. Because it's like, it needs to be someone I'm actually friends with. Like, I can't ask an acquaintance uh, to do this, whatever this is going to be with me. Because... Let's describe the cover to the listeners here of this book. Yeah, it's a, oh, all right. Hold on. Uh, there's a dog here. I hope the dog stays quiet. Quiet dog. People love dogs. Okay. Sorry, the cover. 
The cover, which honestly, this time before I started the book, I looked at it separately and putting all of the contents of this <laughs> novel aside, I was like, you know, suddenly this is striking me like kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore, honestly, when you think about what's happening here, but we've got two guys. Do you? Th- okay. So there, one of these guys is obviously Andy Jenkins. Right. Yes. Right. Young black man, green and white striped shirt. Looks yeah. like a pretty unassuming high schooler. Yeah. The other guy, do we think that's Neil? I'm I'm pretty confident that's Neil. That's Neil. Neil is described as blonde and tall, and that's uh, that's enough, I guess. Yeah. For the for the cover. It would be weird to put Charlie Cashman. So Charlie Cashman is the bully of this book, right. and he appeared yeah. briefly in the last book as well, bullying Andy. Oh. So it was milder oh. than in this book, uh, as we'll get to, but. Yeah, Neil is wearing a a jean jacket and he's got his it's very 1990. He's got yeah. it like the sleeves pushed up. He's got an angry look on his face. His hand is very aggressively like on Andy's chest. Yeah, it's I feel like it's very he's he's the cool one and then Andy is I think as nerdy as the let a person be on the cover. Like, <laughs> I mean, he is, but he's also in a band. And he has a muscular frame. He's described as having a muscular frame. Yeah. So he's in this band is, called Baja Beat, which was yeah. a new band introduced in the last book. Sounds cool. But then he also plays the trombone, I think, in this French book. horn. French horn. Okay. French horn. I was trying to remember what instrument was. He plays the French horn in the band. He's great at science. Marine biology. Marine biology. Specifically. This, <laughs> this sub uh, series' favorite branch of the sciences, marine biology. I mean, uh, I, I guess you can have. I mean, I I didn't have marine biology in high school, but you know, I guess that's in New Jersey. Me neither. It's less likely. Listen, but you lived by you grew up by an ocean, right? Uh, closer than you, but I wouldn't. I I, I wouldn't say any of us were like. Uh, I, I we thought of ourselves as being close to New York, which I guess is also is very close to an ocean, but no one thinks of it that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the the Midwest, I grew up very close to a large body of water, uh, Lake Michigan, which looks kind of like an ocean more than a lot of people (laughs) on the coast think. But uh, no marine biology class for us was happening. We we both missed our calling. (laughs) Perhaps. And instead, we became filmmakers. Yeah. Um, Silly, silly us. (laughs) And now unpacking older stories on a podcast. But Andy's basically got his hand on Neil's wrist. And what do you think the look on his face says? If you were putting words in Andy's mouth here. I mean, I think if you take the whole context of the cover with with the title and Francine Pascal's, I feel like it's don't take the last burger, man. Like I, that's like <laughs> as high as you think the stakes are going to get in something right. like this. It's like, that's such a good point. That's because, what I imagine. Yeah. We got this whole series. It's just like, Oh, they're going to have a fight. And I think I even described it to you as like, I don't really think that Neil is like the friend against friend is probably a misnomer because they're buddies. Yeah. Um, and they are buddies. Let me ask you this. What were you expecting from this book when you opened it up? I was expecting, I mean, I thought there would be some degree of racial, I don't want to say strife, but I'm going to say, I guess I'll say conflict. The The front cover alludes to, I didn't think he was like black by accident. Um, right, right. But I, yeah, I thought it'd be like, you know, he took my spot on the dodgeball team or like, you know, 
just something just very I just I just I figured it was gonna be fluff I mean the way that like the last book I read for this was which I, yeah. I I'm still struggling to remember the plot of <laughs> um, yeah I mean it had like a girl in trouble with like you know she was with a bad crowd but th- that's really the thing it's just like I would say I was surprised by this book to the degree that it went there you know yeah. and there being like all the way to full-on like hate crime like yeah exactly and even initially though um i have a segment on this show called oh my god God moment Moment. it's the moment of the book where i say oh my god out loud and usually um i say oh my god out loud because of something hilarious that's happened or or being said this time and don't worry everybody i am not about to describe a hate crime but i am about to just read to you something that Elizabeth Wakefield says uh, in chapter four of this book. But I'm realizing actually, before I say it, let's do a little bit of, of uh, setting people up for what's happening here. Okay. Charlie Cashman is bullying Andy, right? He's got, he's putting stuff in Andy's locker. Can I say one thing about that real quick? I really would love for you to. We never know if for sure Charlie is the one who trashes Andy's locker. That's right. I think it probably was, though. I think Charlie it, I think doesn't book, say anything to Neil about it. I think the book wants us to conclude that. But I will admit, I was wondering all through throughout it if someone else is going to be revealed as the person who trashed his locker. But then yeah. things get so much crazier. Right. Well, but then even, you're just kind of like. Even there, though, even at the very beginning with the locker trashing, I'm expecting from this book for it to be like, oh, Charlie's bullying Andy, and we all know it's because Andy's black. Not that right. he's literally puts this note in the locker, and the locker says, go back, go back to, to Africa. Africa. I mean, the note yeah. says, go back to Africa, which. Yeah. It's again, it's like both challenging to read and like, well, it's not like that kind of shit doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I mean. It's like I've been already at the earliest stages of this book, like chapter one, feeling a little conflicted about whether I'm like proud of the book (laughs) for doing (laughs) it or like really want to just throw this one away and pretend that it didn't exist. (laughs) I don't know. I, I will say, as someone who's read, this is the second Sweet Valley High uh-huh. book that I've ever read, I was a little proud of it. Okay. I mean, I, as not, as someone who wasn't coming in as already a fan of it, right. and honestly, this is kind of the stuff that I read or watch on my own usually. I wasn't expecting it to find it here. <laughs> but I thought it did. I mean, I don't know how a 13-year-old uh, white girl in Idaho would take this book in in 1991, but I was a little like... This is yeah. a better job than I would ever have expected okay. uh, a book series to do, personally. Well, you know, I guess that was kind of my feeling, too. And I was definitely very curious how it was going to strike you. Um, I don't know what <laughs> uh, kinds of profiling or racism you've faced in your life. But, you know, to me, it felt like this seems like the kind of thing that happens. And then the town's reaction and the school's reaction, especially the high schooler's reaction to it happening, also yeah. felt very like, yes, this is what white people do. Like, <laughs> it, it's this thing of how many ways can you justify something? How do you struggle with trying to tell yourself that, oh, maybe the world is not the way that as fair as you thought it was, especially when you're a high schooler. Now, one thing that this book does 
uh, that sucks, but also is very like only recently as this started to change is that it's never really Andy's story, right? It's like the book is always about Neil. That's true, but I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't know if it's a limb. I believe this. I think that that is actually a positive about the book. Okay. I think Speak so. On this that. is like, this is, yeah, this is like, uh, <laughs> this is what it gets to. Uh, I, you know, I asked you before we started, like, how heavy do we want to get into this? I don't, I don't know if this is going to, if it's good or bad, this becomes like a sociological <laughs> discussion. Or whatever, oh, man, but. I really want it to. Let's go there. No, I, I'm in a little writer's group with some friends of yours, some friends of both of ours from when we were in grad school together. And we, we recently, in, in, the, in the group, uh, we tend to watch like a movie a week. And we recently watched this movie on Netflix, came out a couple years ago, called White Girl. Okay. Very, uh, it's, it's the opposite of Sweet Valley High. I mean, it is, it's graphic, <laughs> very in-your-face, very uh, kind of adult. Um, okay. So but, a lot of scenes at Miller's Point is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, everywhere, not just Miller's Point. They, go, they don't They don't, they don't even need to go to Miller's Point. Yeah, they don't even kind of, need the front seat of a Buick. They can, yeah. uh, Listen, first yeah. 10 minutes of this movie, I, I, any, I, anyone is going to be like, holy shit. So... <laughs> But I, we talked about it in the group, and I, I actually was one of the few people in, the, in our little group who actually was kind of a fan of the movie. Most people, I think, really found it pretty distasteful. I'm also the only black person in the group. I'm um, not right. the only, only person to call it, but the only black person. Mm. But what I really liked about the movie, and it's the same thing that I, I think I commend this book for, is usually when you see stuff about race relations or racial tension discussed, um, I mean, fuck it. Like most of the time they're like sixties period pieces. Right. So like every once in a while, when you get something that's actually contemporary, right. That, like takes place in the here and now, um, it still is usually tends to be about some person of color struggling with their identity and then trying to ultimately triumph. And those stories are good. Those are important. Those are kind of the stories that I tell myself as a filmmaker, but what I think always happens is that the white people's role in discrimination goes unexamined they kind of become the cartoony like you know oh get that black what is it like kevin hart as a joke he's like uh like oh can i say the n-word on this podcast you can okay It's like I don't know who does it. I don't know who does the joke, but it's like something. It's like there's always like some white guy. It's like get those niggers out of the pool, and it's like there's like always that guy who's just like this cartoonish sure, villain, sure. and the kind of more subtle and more ubiquitous ways that like racism, prejudice, discrimination kind of rears its ugly head go unnoticed and go unexamined. And what I liked about the movie White Girl, and what I also liked about this. This issue, book, issue, yeah. This book uh, is yeah. that it examines. Gladiators, wait until you hear. We're going to get into it, but everything Callie <laughs> is describing, like, whoa. Oh yeah, my God. It, it, <laughs> okay, go it on. It talks about, no, no, yeah, but it, it really digs into how a white person experiences race relations and how their reactions to it and how difficult but also unhelpful white people can be, even when they mean the best. Oh my God. In a very fucking stark way way i mean it's like you know the book doesn't shy you think a book which like this would shy away right. from more i mean in this 
so what I think what the book could have done that I would have expected of it is that these books shift really dramatically from perspective to perspective, like all of a sudden, like popping into a character's head for a scene or half a chapter or something. And we probably could have gotten that from Andy's like, a, like we don't really even get anything from Andy's internal monologue or his his individual perspective. But I see what yeah. you mean and I think it's a good point that if we had spent less time with Neil, if we were just watching Neil from the outside, if we'd spent less time with Neil's family, which ends up being one of the most chilling aspects of this book, I think, um, is it, of exactly what you're talking about. We have Neil has exposure to those uh, you know, very outward cartoonish racists, which also is a thing that exists, but right yeah. in, in not just Charlie Cashman, but Charlie Cashman's dad. Yeah. And the fact that Charlie Cashman's dad is having a hard time at work and he comes from a rough family. There's a lot of excuses made um, that about why Charlie is the way he is, why he's racist, why he's a bully that are probably true, but also right. feels a little bit like, okay, yeah. but, that doesn't give you license to do crimes. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, because uh, there are real crimes. Actual crimes, yeah. And, yeah. Um, but then we have the next level, which is we have Neil's father, who uh, I'll have a scene that I'll read, but you know he's goaded into revealing his kind of inner prejudice, right? And then yeah. the situations in his life cause him to kind of show a side of himself to Neil that Neil didn't realize his father was racist in that way. Yeah. And then we have Neil who is like so confronted with the prospect of being grouped in with white people that he actually briefly becomes the very thing that he hates most. Yeah. And then I was really worried about Neil in this book. I was like, I don't know <laughs> what Neil is going to do, you know, to himself. I had the same, I had really? the same okay. kind of fear. I was like, I, yeah, pretty quickly. I was like, this book is not playing by the rules. Like, I don't know how fucking far they're going <laughs> to go, and, man. And crazy shit happens in these books sometimes. So, Gladiators, now that we've given you, like, an overview of the, like, whole trajectory of, of that, let me get all the way back, all the way back to my oh, oh my, my God, God moment. moment. Because... As people are starting to learn about Andy getting bullied by Charlie Cashman, and Andy is has a very hard line about how he doesn't want to complain about it because you can't change people like that. He just he doesn't want to make waves, basically. Is that how you saw it? Yeah, I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Andy's thinking seems to be like, if I say something, it's only going to make it worse. Like if I draw yeah. attention to this rather than just shrugging it off. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, yeah, I think what you said. But I think the other half of it is, and I don't think this is the part that he says to Neil, but I guess maybe I read into it. Sure. Um, is I don't trust anyone else to do anything about it. Well, I mean, at some point he says that he said something like, similar, similar happened in middle school. He went to a teacher. The teacher said, just right. kind of ignore it. But I don't think he has any faith that the school, the teachers, other parents, or anyone is actually going to stick up for it. Right. And that's a learned assumption. And yeah. this book does tell us right up front, Andy is one of only a few black kids in the school. I mean, we already know that as readers of this series, but the book does state that outright. And, yeah. you know, all the teachers are white. You know, the teachers, the principal is white. Everybody who has a positive, helpful 
demeanor towards Andy in this book is also still a white person, right? Because that's right. this community. Uh, and that includes Elizabeth Wakefield. So here's something. Who has a real that, existential crisis. Yeah, yeah. But early on, kind of leading into that, this is this is the part of the book that made me say, oh, my God. And it's also a popular highlight of this uh, Kindle edition that I'm reading for a change. <laughs> Callie's reading the hard copy and I'm reading the Kindle edition for a change. Okay, so here's Neil talking about why Andy hasn't gone to the principal. That's what's so frustrating. He says he can handle it on his own. He says he's not asking for help from anyone white, period. There was a stunned silence in the small office. Penny and Elizabeth stared at Neil. He said that? Penny asked. An anxious frown creased her forehead. She began tapping her pencil nervously on the desk. Yes. Neil raked one hand back through his hair. That's what I don't get. I mean, that's racism too, isn't it? Making generalizations about a race like that? Elizabeth leaned forward on her elbows. I don't know if that's exactly the same thing, she said. It is true that white people have discriminated against blacks for hundreds of years. Maybe Andy has a good reason to feel angry and suspicious about the white establishment. That's true, Penny agreed. <laughs> I, I read that sentence and I said, oh my god. Me too. <laughs> it was a very different kind of oh my god moment. Because I was like, she just said white establishment. This is 1990. <laughs> that was actually one of the moments. I went back and I was like, who wrote this book? Because... I mean, I, it says Francine Pascal. It says Kate William is yeah. the... Kate, it's, it's, we do not know who wrote this book. Yeah. Yeah, but I know that there are lots of ghostwriters for things like this. Right, but I was like, right. did, a, did a black person slip in the writer's room? And just like, they just weren't paying attention. And I, I kind of hope so. And I think it's possible <laughs> because it's... I mean, who knows? Maybe it was written by committee. I don't know. It definitely seemed like somebody who knew something was involved in this because... Yeah, that's that's like the kind of the discourse. And that's not the last thing that Elizabeth says like that. I mean, Elizabeth yeah. also is the person who sort of like comes to Neil's rescue in the end and like yeah. sort of makes excuses for him. But but that might have saved his life as you and I are conjecturing <laughs> here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. he was struggle. So basically, that's kind of the beginning of the book, right? We have Andy not like Andy's being bullied and Neil is wanting him to do something about it, feeling like he should stay out of it, but then also starting to get sensitive about Andy's <laughs> reverse racism or whatever, for lack yeah. of a better term. Maybe we should talk about Neil's family relationship with the Cashmans, the, the yeah. Fremounts and the Cashmans. Yeah. Neil's dad works with Frank Cashman, who is Charlie Cashman's father at uh, the canning facility yeah uh patman canning i think was owned, owned uh, by the, the hot dude Bruce's really family, getting a I'm glimpse assuming. into the whole like economic hierarchy of sweet valley yeah. um, um which is also interesting because like instead they're not mad at the patmans right frank no, and yeah, mr no, no and mr freemount listen they're gorgeous what can they what can they do they say he's a jerk but he's gorgeous there's nothing i can do about it <laughs> oh my god that's i definitely highlighted that scene um <laughs> that's when elizabeth and jessica talk about uh discrimination and white privilege yeah. oh my god we're getting there <laughs> that's maybe my favorite part of the whole book <laughs> but i guess they have these family picnics and neil has to go to them uh which is weird because 
obviously Charlie is the aggressor in this thing with Andy. Uh, But there's somebody named Willis who is like been promoted um, at the the plant. The boss of Neil and Charlie's fathers and neither of their dads seem happy about it. Right. And they talk a lot about how it's like an affirmative action thing. Yeah. Which made me wonder, do you know when affirmative action kind of started being a thing people were talking about? I'm going to look, I should have, I think it was, I thought it was the mid eighties. Yeah. And so this would kind of, I mean, it might've been like right in the, but it was a pretty, probably a pretty new thing when this book was written. Yeah. Um, So this could a little bit of a response to, um, that kind of beginning to happen, uh, in the U S and of course, an example of it getting held against Willis because the guys are like, he, you know, he only, he wouldn't have gotten this promotion based on merit alone. Right. And Neil's dad says something to Neil about how his friend Andy is like one of the good ones. Yeah. That kind of thing. I mean, he doesn't say those exact words, but pretty close. But Neil kind of picks up on it. Neil identifies it as he's saying, oh, he's saying he's the exception. So is that mean the rule that, is that, oh, that black people are stupid and lazy? That actually might even be verbatim what it said. I read it very recently. <laughs> yeah, let me see. Um, here's a here's a passage uh, from after this lunch happens where the mom's like that Mrs. Cashman is like sort of uncomfortable, but Mrs. Fremont is like really kind of pushing back against against Mr. Fremont and Neil especially is, but you can see how there's only so far that they're willing to go because they don't want to ruin dinner. Right. The picnic and like, what are they going to do about their dad's attitude? Which very stereotypically waspy. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't help wondering about his father. Was he just agreeing with Mr. Cashman to go along with a friend or did his father really believe what he'd said? With a groan of frustration, Neil got off the bed and started pacing back and forth across his room. At one point he stopped at his desk where his marine biology lab book sat open on the top of a pile of homework. One thing was clear. He couldn't invite Andy over to his house anymore. If Andy got even the smallest hint of prejudice from Mr. Fremont, it would be the end of their friendship. And Neil definitely didn't want that to happen. The best thing to do was to wait until the whole matter faded away, Neil decided. That way, no one could get hurt. So early on in this book, that's Neil's, like, sweeping it under the rug, right? But I also say, like, that passage is the passage where I was like, oh, this book is interesting. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be a... Racists are bad. Uh, black people are great. Just and just just be nice to like. I feel like that was so much of like the the message, especially like growing up in the nineties. It was just like color doesn't exist. Right. Just be nice to people. And I was like, oh, this is already very in in a very subtle way getting at the nuance of oh, maybe we treat people different to be nice. That's such and, a good point. And then it just it just spirals. I just did not expect, but it just keeps spiraling. Yeah, um, yeah. I was definitely that is definitely what I was expecting. So when I'm like sending you this preemptively apologetic email, I'm <laughs> like, okay, we're gonna have to brace ourselves for a sort of something sort of trite. Yeah. Not we're gonna have to brace ourselves for you know watching, uh, like literal friend against friend. Yeah. Um, in like racist explosion in the town of Sweet Valley. But um, here's the line that you were talking about. And you're, you're right. It is pretty much verbatim. Mr. Fremont says, all we're really saying is it's not his fault if he was disadvantaged as a kid, but this affirmative action thing isn't fair. I don't have anything against black people. Lots of them are really nice. Like your friend, Andy. He's a smart guy and he works hard. 
Yeah, he does, Neil said. He couldn't meet his father's eyes. Was his father saying Andy was an exception to the rule? If so, then what was the rule? That black people were mostly lazy and stupid? I thought that went out in the 60s, Neil thought in astonishment. That's not what dad meant. It couldn't be. So that's going back a little bit earlier than the previous passage I read. But yeah, yeah it's like, <sighs> poor, like Neil's really having a hard time in his mind. But then, <laughs> but then he turns it into like, it couldn't have been what his dad meant. It's probably just Mr. Cashman's influence. And yeah. the way that I'm going to handle it is by keeping Andy away from my dad so that he doesn't see that. Right. Which I highlighted that passage before knowing whether or not it was going to become important. And it doesn't actually really come up. Because no. mostly what happens as the story unfolds is that Andy becomes kind of uninterested in talking to Neil very much. This crazy thing happens where outside of the, they go to the Dairy Burger, right? Like um, Neil and Penny go on a double date with Andy and his girlfriend. Tracy? Yeah. Tracy. Tracy, yeah. And they're like having a great time. Andy's going to win this science award, like we were saying for marine biology. Mm-hmm. And then when they're coming out of the restaurant, Charlie Cashman and his buddies are there and they're like, you know, like shaking uh, Andy's dad's car and Andy's in it. Well, that's, that's after that's oh, later. Oh, this sorry, is the scene right, just right, where right. the um, Tracy's tires get slashed and she like has to go to work. She's going to be late. And Andy's like, well, I was going to go home, but now I guess I'll just have to deal with Tracy's car. And Neil takes Tracy to work. Like he's being helpful. Yes. But Andy now is stuck having to deal with the consequences of these racist dudes, you know, vandalism. Yeah. Yeah. It gets, it just keeps escalating. So the next day at school, after all this has happened and Neil feels terrible, he talks to Andy and Andy is at this point really pissed about all the work, all the trouble he had to go to and how his night was ruined. And Neil actually even feels bad for not having been able to help in a more direct way. Even though I thought Neil Neil did the right thing by taking Tracy to Absolutely. work, you know? So that's well, the best thing he could have done. Because they come out of the place and they get confronted by Charlie and his friends first. And then they realize Tracy's tires were slashed, right? Right. I don't, for the first, <laughs> like, 80% of this novel, novel, book, whatever, Neil never actually stands up to Charlie. That's true. Say, That's what he could shut up. He'll go, oh, you know, leave him alone. He never stands in front of him and says, stop it. That's in, true. In any uncertain terms. So I, I hesitate to say there's nothing else he could have done. I mean, You're the, totally I think right. once, once Tracy's tires are slashed, he does the right thing. But I just kept waiting for dude, like, this is your friend. Like, just, I understand this other guy is your dad's friend's son. But you keep saying you don't like him, but you keep, just letting him be and just kind yeah. of dismissing it as opposed to confronting. Right. Well, so maybe that is part of what's going on with Neil, like why he feels so guilty for not having done more. I was thinking like, oh, well, once they found out the tires were slashed, there's nothing more he could do. But certainly beforehand, yeah, he doesn't really do much. And I think he's telling himself, well, Andy wouldn't want me to. So I'm just, but, but really it's the easiest thing to do is to yeah. not, not stand up for him. But, um, Here's Neil talking to Andy the next day at school. Neil felt terrible. Even though it wasn't his responsibility, he thought of offering to help pay, but something held him back. He suspected that Andy wouldn't accept the offer in the spirit it was intended. Something else was worrying Neil, too. He was pretty sure Andy was angry enough now to confront Charlie. There was no telling what would happen in that situation. 
If Charlie's buddies were with him, and they almost always were, Andy would be outnumbered four to one. Considering how angry Andy was, Neil was afraid the confrontation might get violent. Listen, Neil began hesitantly, try not to let it get to you. He groped for the right words, but couldn't find them. Think, think of how Martin Luther King Jr. would react in a situation like this. (laughs) Who do you think you are? Andy gasped. (laughs) Don't talk to me about Dr. King. Stung, Neil (laughs) stared at Andy. A blush of embarrassment washed over his cheeks. Sorry, he mumbled. I was just trying to... I know what you were trying to do, Andy said, quickening his stride. Andy! Feeling hurt and confused, Neil stopped on the steps. He knew what a hard time his friend must be going through, but he couldn't seem to find the right way to show his sympathy. So... He goes on and tells him to talk to a teacher. But this is the first blush. This embarrassment. This uh, is the beginning of Neil. What is fomenting into a true anger in Neil. Like, I'm trying to help you, buddy. And you're just lumping me in with Charlie just because I'm white like Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. And he feels, he feels discriminated against in, 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 in the smallest possible way. But it, he very quickly becomes like completely destroyed by it. Like we both were worrying about his, like, you know, whether he was going to hurt himself or something like that. Right. Right. Um, because the of how things escalate. Like, Neil's not yeah. helping himself. Like, he makes things so much worse. Because now here's where we get to, this is like, we might as well get to the big thing, right? Neil and Penny uh, decide that they're going to invite Andy and Tracy one more time out to a double date. But Andy says no again, because he's just, like, not in the mood to do this. And Neil takes it real personally. And he's even basically deciding in his own mind, I'm not going to try again after this. If he rejects me, that's it. Oh, and also there's been that science test and Neil feels like he did badly in the science quiz because of how worked up he was about Andy, which he is now making Andy's fault. Yes. Um, Which all things being equal, a friendship spat and somebody holding something against you. Sure. But it's like, you know, this is a nuanced situation. (laughs) Come on, bud. So they go to the movies but just Penny and Neil, right? And then they come out of the theater. And this is where you were talking before about Andy's yeah. dad's car and Andy's in it and Charlie and his buddies outside. They're shaking the car. So Neil tells Penny to go back inside and he goes to try and see what he can do because he's not sure what's going on. Right. And, by and the Penny time he goes gets to over, call the cops. She's like, Penny this goes is serious. To call the cops. We just read how Neil was worried that this was going to escalate. He right. didn't warn Andy about that, but okay. He didn't, he did not. And actually, well, there's something I want to go back and talk about that happened before this, but so he goes over to Charlie and his friends. And by the time he gets over there, they drug, they drug Andy out of his own car. Yeah. And, and, have and he's unconscious. Well, like we yeah, don't, we didn't see the beating, but I'm just like, I'm sorry. He's what? Like they describe his like body being in a heap. Like it's really like, this is where I'm like, Oh my God. I can't believe I made Kelly read this. <laughs> No, listen, this is poor boy. This is how this is how our country moves forward. <laughs> I mean, obviously we know that uh, we have to deal with much worse stories and footage and all this shit in our actual news yeah. with um a really gut-wrenching regularity, but it's like where are you expecting to confront it, right? But anyway, I mean, it, it, I guess it's a weird blessing. They don't describe Andy's condition beyond that he's unconscious, which is already pretty bad. But oh right. my god. Here, here they don't describe it. Here. 
Not really. So yeah. Charlie, I mean, let's, I guess I'll, I guess I'll find it. I mean, what Charlie says and what's going on in Neil's mind. Um, one of the other boys lifted Andy by the shoulders. Andy's head lulled to one side and he let it a groan. This is your chance to pay him back for all the lousy things he's been saying to you, Charlie. His voice was earnest, coaxing. He's been taking advantage of you, Neil. He only cares about himself. That's all he ever cared about. That's why he treats you like a chump. All the feelings of hurt, anger, and confusion that have been swirling around in Neil's head suddenly crystallized into a pounding need to get back at Andy. Go on, Charlie said, his eyes glittering. Hit him. Hit him. Neil took a deep breath and stared at Andy. He raised his arm to hit his former friend. But just as his fist went shooting toward Andy, something inside Neil snapped. And he realized with horror what he was doing. He tried to stop himself, to pull back. It was too late. His fist connected with Andy's solar plexus, and Andy let out a breathless grunt. Way to go, Fremont, Jerry said with a chuckle. Two points. So it's, I was reminded as you, yeah, and I was reminded as you were reading it, how the book like really amps up the tragedy factor here by making Neil realize what a monster he's become. Like after his hand starts moving, but before he makes contact (laughs) and yet, but it's too late to stop. And then, I mean, before this scene ends, like on the next page, Finally, Neil drove out to the highway and kept going. His car was swerving wildly. Neil could hardly remember how to drive. He left, he leaves Penny there. Yep. And it also says he felt as though he had just stepped over the brink into a bottomless pit. There was no turning back now. No way to undo what he had done. Yep. So that's where Neil's at. And like, rightly so. Come on, man. But this is like two thirds of the way through the book. Yep. I like, can I tell you like, precisely. There's 59% <laughs> of the book uh, has has happened. Yeah. There's still another 40% of book. So that was a very good estimate, two-thirds. I guess you have the physical book in front of you. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I want to make a strange admission. Okay. At a certain point, when Neil is standing over Andy, when I was reading the book, I started, I'm not, well, I'm not proud of this, but let me explain. A certain point when Neil was standing over Andy, I started rooting for Neil to hit him. Not because I wanted Andy to get hit, but because I wanted the story to show the fall of the white liberal hero. Okay. I wanted the book and I and it and it happened, and I was, and that's kind of when I got, as I said earlier, like a little proud of the book. That was going to be my follow-up question was like, do you feel like the book went there or do you think that it equivocates that too much? I would say, is it is it a full nuanced look at this kind of a racially charged conflict within a friendship? No. I mean, Coates didn't write it. But like, <laughs> I think for... It goes, not only does it go there, it goes way beyond what I ever would have expected a Sweet Valley High book to do. And this is the moment where I went, there was like, there's no way he's going to hit him. I wanted him to hit him. I was like, there was this part of me that's just like, that would be really grappling with how racism operates. Yeah. And it, and it did it. 
I'm thinking at this point in the book, Neil's going to run up and stop him and something's going to happen between Neil and Andy. So I was already super surprised that Andy was effectively like his agency was taken out of the scene already because he's unconscious. And then extremely surprised that it went there, that, that he hit him. But yeah, in a way it's like the best of both worlds in a horror, I mean, in a horrible (laughs) sense, because we do have the fall of this, you know, like, you know, conflicted liberal white guy. But then there, you know, as the book says verbatim, like there's no turning back, like there's nothing he can do to undo it. And he doesn't, he doesn't turn into the caricature from the Kevin Hart joke. Now right. he's in a now he's in a really complicated place where yeah. what ends up happening is that because Andy was unconscious and the cops came and the boys scattered, no and nobody saw it other than these other guys who were really more at fault than Neil. Yeah. Nobody knows what happened, including Andy doesn't know what happened. So it's except, Neil's secret. Well, except for or Charlie, except for and, Charlie then, and the other boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Neil starts thinking that he has no choice, but he's going to have to tell Andy about it. But understandably, every time he tries, it doesn't come out. You know, we get a lot of Neil telling himself, just say it, just say it. And like, yeah, I bet you don't want to tell Andy that, especially since Andy's not really too keen on you right now anyway as his friend. Yeah. So yeah. if you, you know, he's already worried that you're one of them. Well, now you are absolutely one of them, the very worst of them, um, yeah. even if and, and how can he explain to Andy his inner turmoil? He can barely like make a sentence. He's saying shit right. to him, like be like Dr. King, like, come on, buddy. <laughs> um but much more creatively uh, poetic in their conversations about race and privilege are the Wakefield twins. Should we back <laughs> up a little bit? This is before Andy's attack, but I gotta, let's have a little bit of a palate cleanser, shall we? Okay. So Elizabeth is really getting worked up about the idea that there's racial injustice in the school. We should say that uh, a B story, low level B story for this book that is planting the seed for book 70, is that Elizabeth has proposed that for the school newspaper, they have people anonymously write things that they would change about the school. And a lot of girls are upset that boys sports get more uh, money than girls sports. And that brings out um, a lot of boys that Elizabeth is friends with. It brings out their like laughing indignance that girls would even think that. So it's like the conversation has been has been started and it's like Pandora's box is open and now like issues are being discussed and Elizabeth is having to face the fact that people <laughs> have contentious feelings. Um, oh, yeah. sound familiar? Sound like any country we live in <laughs> for the past five to ten years? Um, all right. So Elizabeth is thinking about this and Jessica, who is you know, so easygoing and chill, not chill, but blithe. Yeah. Pops in. Don't you sometimes feel like some people get more privileges than other people just because of who they are? She asked her sister. Jessica nodded. Oh, well, sure. Lila, for one, the spoiled brat, and Bruce Patman, he thinks he's the king of California. And people pretty much let him get away with it, too, Elizabeth said, still frowning. Why do they? Who knows, Jessica shrugged, and then flopped down beside Elizabeth on her bed. Some people just seem to have more in this world, I guess. Elizabeth arched her eyebrows. People like Bruce Patman? Well, sure, he's rich, Jessica said. And even though I don't like him very much, I still have to admit, he's gorgeous. 
So in other words, people who are good looking and rich get extra, is that what you're saying? Elizabeth demanded hotly. I know it's not fair, Jessica said, but hey, I don't make the rules. Elizabeth stood up, threw the pillow on the bed and began to pace. Then I want to talk to the person who made the rules, she said fiercely. We need some new ones. What are you complaining for, Jessica laughed. I notice you fit into the lucky category. We're not stinking rich, but we're okay. Jessica, Elizabeth whirled around to face her twin. Didn't it ever occur to you that if we're fortunate, that means we have a responsibility to make sure other people are treated fairly? Jessica looked taken aback. What's gotten into you all of a sudden? <laughs> Elizabeth says, I've got news for you, Jess. Things at Sweet Valley are not as great as you think. <laughs> and then she explains about the locker thing. And anyway, I just... So we're not even just talking about racial privilege now. We've got economic privilege. Yep. We've got Jessica pointing out to Elizabeth, like, hey, you you know we're in the category of the privileged. <laughs> and Elizabeth's like, yes, and we need to use our privilege. Yeah. There's a there's a incredibly brief discussion of the whitewashing of California history. <gasps> yes, and I marked that because, first of all, something that is notable to me as a longtime reader of this series is that whoever wrote this book trotted out every it's like a every past race book of Sweet Valley history <laughs> character gets gets trotted out for this scene. Oh, really? Yes. But also the whitewashing question in California has now moved even beyond what's happening in this conversation. So can I read that? I know yeah. I'm doing a lot of reading here, but. Is, is um, <laughs> so this is also a reaction to this B-plot thing. I'll tell you what I'd change. Manuel Lopez spoke up. Manuel Lopez, a uh, boyfriend of Sandy Bacon, star of the first ever uh, race relations book, <laughs> Sweet oh. Valley. Sandy Bacon's mother is racist against Mexicans, so Sandy keeps her relationship with Manuel a secret, and it really hurts Manuel's feelings. And then he saves her life, and she has to confess their love so that he does not get arrested and accused of trying to blow up the boat that they were on. That is a true summation of what happens in that book. Okay. Good Lord. So man, he's over it though now, apparently, because now he's <laughs> on to bigger political issues. I'll tell you what I'd change, Manuel Lopez spoke up. I'd change the way they teach history around here. This whole area of California was settled by the Spanish from Mexico for centuries before white Americans came over the Rockies. The Spanish were the real discoverers of California. Which, of course, now in California, we talk about the missions and the Spanish and, like, the Tongva, yeah. the indigenous people that were already here. Yeah. And, like, what about uh, what about them? They were actually here before <laughs> the Spanish, which he's not counting the Spanish coming up from Mexico are, like, not white people. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it seemed, it seemed like a weird uh, hill for yeah. Manuel to die on, but yeah, I was but, like, yeah. Uh, but it's hey. 1990. Um, as the scene goes on, Manuel's girlfriend, Sandra Bacon, looks surprised. I didn't realize that, she said. So she didn't even know that. Um, whatever version of history they were teaching. That's what I mean, Manuel said. That's the whole problem. A lot of teachers tend to skip over that part of California history. We used to go on field trips to the old Spanish missions when we were in elementary school, Ken Matthews put in. Manuel just rolled his eyes. <laughs> Whoa, Jade Wu said. Doesn't anyone care about the real issues? Her brown eyes were twinkling mischievously. Like maybe getting rid of this boring cafeteria food and putting in a couple of pizza ovens? 
everyone laughed but Manuel. And then they start talking about girls' sports, and the boys are like, come on, obviously boys' sports are more important than girls' sports. Nobody wants to watch field hockey. <sighs> so... There, there is. I, I do want to. There is another way, though, that this B story does relate to the A story. Let's do it. Let's connect the dots. Give me a transition, is, baby. Hit me. They do get Penny goes through and starts checking when they get all of these survey responses, and one of the responses is I don't know if you want to read it, but it's something like all the people who aren't real Americans should be kicked out of the school. All blacks, Hispanics, Asians. And then Penny. You know, makes I highlighted the, it. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> did. But you basically just summarized it exactly yeah. what it said. But then I think what was even more interesting than the fact that that response comes in is that Penny has this long think on it and decides that if you cover things up like this, then nothing will change. And then she destroys that response. Hmm. She crumples it up into a ball. She, I yeah. felt like that was a destroying That's weird. Sweet Valley High Universe. She has a thought, I never should have let Elizabeth do this. But she knew it would have been wrong not to have the survey. If there were hidden feelings like that at Sweet Valley, they had to be brought out into the open. Keeping them in the dark, ignoring them would only make things worse. So yeah, uh, she doesn't decide to publish that particular <laughs> uh, survey right. response. So that is a little bit like... But I can't blame her. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. She should have sent it to the friggin' Sweet Valley like newspaper to like yeah. the, the Sweet Valley Times or whatever. I can't think of what it's called right now. But the Sweet Valley yeah, News. Like, the Sweet Valley News. Don't they have like a? Isn't there like a teacher advisor to the newspaper or something like that that she can she can like pass it up it's the chain to? It's friggin' Mr. Collins. Who Mr. Collins yeah. is the one who pulls Andy aside eventually and is like, "This is before the serious beating," and is like, "I want you to tell me." Or no. Fuck, he doesn't pull Andy aside. He pulls Neil aside. Pulls Neil aside. Pulls after Neil Charlie aside. trips Andy and says, if something like this happens, I want you to come to me. Which but, also, not a good move for a teacher. Yeah. Like, What do you think he should have done? He should have talked to Andy. Yeah. Like, if fucking... Yeah. He sees two kids get in a fight. He pulls the black kid's white friend aside. Is like, is this racial? And then right. the white kid's like, yeah, I think so. And they're like, all right. Well, you tell me, white kid, if something else happens. It's yeah. like, go check on the black kid. He's definitely <laughs> right. I mean, that's so much the right move that I assume that that was what he did at first. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a second. That's not actually what he did. But he should have um, also now the way that they structured it, the book makes it a further fault of Neil's that, right. that he doesn't. Like, Neil saw this Charlie Cashman serious beating coming. We have it in the text. He had every opportunity to warn Andy, to tell Mr. Collins, to preemptively go to the police. Like, there's a lot of things they could have done. Not only does he not do any of those things, but, of course, as we now know, he participates in the uh, assault. So Yeah. It's just there's so many things. And I, and it, I actually think the book does a decent job of, like, putting you in Neil's like in his head and kind of kind oh, of explaining yeah. his psychology. Well, we didn't talk about how Charlie Cashman shows up at Neil's house. Yes. Yes. It's before the beating happens also, but that's yeah. so weird. That's such a weird scene. You want to talk about that? Gladiators, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. we're jumping around a lot, but there's just so much to say. It's just this is a this book is they, We're they, reeling. This, yeah. I'm still yeah, I just I don't know how to I'm processed. But so Charlie shows up at Neil's house um, fairly early on and wants to take Neil for a drive. Neil doesn't want to go, 
but he has this whole thought process of how bad he feels for Charlie because things are bad for him at home. Oh, mm-hmm. and that's after uh, his dad ends up getting fired. Charlie's dad gets fired by Willis, by their black manager. I don't think Remember? his dad's been fired yet. Okay, but that does think, happen in the book. Yes, that <laughs> oh does happen. So many events. But I think I think I think Neil has dinner with his family, and Neil's dad tells Neil that Charlie's dad got it really bad from Willis that day at work. Right, and, and then, then Charlie, Charlie comes over, and and Neil makes the I guess we're supposed to believe is the correct assumption that if if. Charlie's dad got it really bad at work. He's taking it out on the family, and that's why Charlie's trying to escape. And he wants to yeah. talk to Neil because he doesn't have to explain everything. Right, yeah, which I think is probably true. So he, like, takes pity on Charlie, which, you know, is, like, sweet. But then when the scene ends, I also very much agree with Neil's inner monologue, which is like, wait a second. I'm Andy's friend. I don't even like Charlie. Like, why am I, is it so easy for me to see things from Charlie's perspective? And also if Andy found out that I hung out with Charlie, that would be a bad look, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And he's right. He's just like, shit, oops. (laughs) Yeah. And for me, I just, it just, it keeps to me going back. It's just like, if Charlie likes you enough to come over and kind of, you know, try and relate and commiserate a little bit or something, just tell him to stop. <laughs> I right. just don't. It's like to me, it's like I don't want to say it's a simple solution, but it it takes until the last couple pages of the book for Neil yeah. to just say, "Hey, don't do this." Right, and you know what happens when he says it? Charlie's like, "Now I'm coming for you too," and then right. um, nothing comes of it. <laughs> Because the book ends so abruptly that I was well, I was pacing in my kitchen reading this book, <laughs> and I it was over, and I saw the words at the end in you know black italics that were setting up book seventy, and I was like, it was my second oh my god moment because I was like, are you kidding me? This book is over, but we haven't included all the details, right? Because That's of true. course, there's all of the stuff that happens after Andy gets um, Andy gets beaten up. Neil is like hiding out in his room. He he's so overcome with guilt that he doesn't want to face anybody. He keeps expecting the cops to call him or somebody to call him, but really only Penny is calling him. And when he goes back to school, it's like everybody is totally horrified about what happened to Andy, but they're also all treating Neil as like a hero because they know that like Neil and Penny called the cops and Penny has made up a story about what Neil must've done. Like, why wasn't Neil there? Well, he must have gone for help or chased the guys away or something, you know? Right. She's so much that she's forgiven him for leaving her there. Right. Which must've been really scary. Right. Like she comes back out and it's just like Andy's, limp body by this car and the police are coming and yeah and her boyfriend is gone uh but the craziest scene in this whole book to me not crazy like i can't believe this is happening but just like oh i can't believe that it's happening in this book yeah i think i know you're talking about fucking cinematic scene where (laughs) if i had seen it on the big screen it would have been just as chilling you know So Neil's dad takes him to a football game and Neil thinks to himself, I wonder why today of all days, which I thought was a weird sentence, but it was foreshadowed. So they go to this UCLA football game um, where I think maybe Neil's 
older brother plays on the team or something. I don't know. I think it's a USC game. I think they say someone else goes to UCLA, but I think the football game is yeah, a USC Neil's, game. Yeah, I think Neil's brother plays at UCLA. Anyway. Yeah, so they go to the game, and at this point, Neil is so kind of stricken with grief and guilt that he's been unable to kind of function. He's and not talking to his dad, really. Yeah. And he says that this is the first time where he actually can feel like a kid again. He can feel like a, like a, like a carefree teenager hanging out with his dad and he actually relaxes and just has a good time. And then halftime comes and his dad says, Hey, I want to tell you something. I don't know if you want to read it or if I should just keep, are you looking keep for going. it? I'm, I'm looking okay. for it, but his dad says, uh, I want to talk about something kind of serious. And Neil kind of gets a little nervous and his dad basically says, uh, I know what happened. You don't have anything to feel bad about. And Neil is immediately like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Andy probably had it coming, basically. He says, um, you probably felt a little worried about it, but I know Andy had it coming. Yeah. I'll, I'll read this, what comes next. Uh, Dad, Neil's voice came out strained. They, we beat him up. Mr. Fremont shrugged. So you were a little rough on him. But you can be sure of one thing. He's learned his lesson now. Whoa, second half's starting. The crowd let out a roar of excitement as the teams ran back onto the field. Neil felt dizzy. He tried to draw a breath, but he felt as though he were choking. Beside him, his father was standing up and clapping, shouting to the players. I can't believe this, Neil thought. It was like a nightmare. His father was praising him for beating up Andy. It was sickening. Um, and they go home after the game and Neil actually asks to be let out of the car before they get home. Yeah. And his dad like knows what's up and tells him like, don't you go acting all high and mighty with me. I know what you did. You're no better than anyone else. And then he drives away. And there's this line in the book where it says, there was nothing Neil could say. When he looked at his father, he felt as if he were a long distance away. He knew he would never be able to talk to him again. Yep. So it's just like, fuck. That is, and that's where we're like, uh oh, what's Neil, Neil, what's Neil doing? Because <laughs> then Neil goes and he actually does finally apologize, or not apologize, he finally tells Andy what happened. Yeah, yeah. He's invited into, it's like 11 o'clock at night, and Andy's oh, mom. He doesn't tell him yet, though. Oh, you're right. It, oh, God, I keep on missing up the story. <laughs> like, so. it's a, listen, it's a lot. Yeah. For a short book, it's a lot. Man. A lot of it is also very, like, internal, as opposed to being, like, really plot-rich. I thought maybe this was going to be a really short episode, because not a lot happens <laughs> plot-wise. And we're, this is why we're just, like, jumping to the end. But when he shows up, what did you think of when he shows up at the Jenkins house? I... Well, I didn't realize that Andy was like totally unconscious when he when he got hit. I thought he was like he'd been beaten, but I thought he knew what was going on. So I was expecting. So when he goes in, and his Andy's parents are really happy to see him. They gr- yeah. kind of greet him like a hero, the way the school has. And then he we goes know up you to Andy's. Out for him. Yeah, yeah. And then we go up to Andy's room, and I was still expecting Andy to recognize him. And they had said, cool. yeah, they had said a couple times that Andy is still not talking to the police and wouldn't say who it was. But I thought Andy would confront him. And I was honestly really 
surprised when Andy is like, listen, man, I'm so sorry. You call the cops. Thank you so much. I realize that I have been racist to you in lumping you in with these guys. Yeah. And I really shouldn't have. turning the knife. <laughs> but I, I was just like, this book is way, way more complex and way yeah, more late than it yeah. has any right to be. So keeps on not being able, like, I can't tell Andy now. I can't tell Andy now. And then it, then it becomes like the day that Andy gets his award. And I was scared. Yeah. I was like, Andy's going to get like lynched at this uh, award ceremony. I had the same fear. I had and the same Neil's going to kill himself. Like what's going <laughs> to fucking happen in this book. And felt, um, like, those are the only possibilities <laughs> at a certain point. Yeah. Which maybe that's why this book just ends. Cause what actually happens is after he wins the award uh charlie and like jerry and his like lackeys kind of circle up and are going to try to beat him again go ahead sorry i'm I'm jumping ahead again go ahead well no 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 he he wins the award but then just in between the two things uh neil Neil does actually tell andy yeah yeah and he his reaction is bad understandably he doesn't i'm actually i'm also kind of glad about that and he doesn't just like immediately turn the other cheek um which i frankly not to be a neil here but i don't think dr king would have turned the other (laughs) cheek so quickly either um but then i also penny neil tells penny what happened and penny is like has a similar reaction to neil's reaction with his dad she's like i thought i knew you I cannot believe you would do something like this. Like, plus she was involved, right? Like she was, she's involved in the narrative of Neil as a hero of the day. And I was thinking about how, I mean, this is going to be news to you as well, Callie, but gladiators, perhaps you remember, I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. So think back to over an hour ago that when Penny and Neil first got together, Neil was involved with a different shitty dude. I think it was Kirk Anderson. Yeah, Kirk Anderson's mentioned in this book, too. Okay. Well, so he uses the newspaper to try and trick Penny into thinking that there's a guy that's, like, in love with her. But then he ends up actually falling in love with her. And, of course, Penny finds out that Neil did this and is really mad at him. And then it turns out they're really in love. So they have, like, a happily ever after. But, like, if I'm Penny, and that's how I met my boyfriend, and now he's pulling this kind of weird two-faced shit again, I would would be very concerned about his character, right? He's already had the red flags. So... Anyway, that's furthering Neil's descent into oblivion. (laughs) His girlfriend never wants to talk to him again. But you can guess who saves the day, Gladiators. In the yes. weirdest way, Elizabeth Wakefield pulls up and is like, Hey, Neil, I heard about every single thing that happened. <laughs> and I want you to know that what you did was wrong. That doesn't make you a bad person is basically what she says, right? Yeah. And, and, but, I, but actually, yeah. no one really gets any real sort of kind of comeuppance. Um, nor any real closure, nor any real closure, which I also found surprising. And absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Neil's dad is just a racist and Neil's just going to have to deal with this. Charlie's just still going to just go around. He's a free agent. Neil and Andy don't have a conversation where they reconcile. So Neil does end up having the opportunity to come to Andy's rescue and he takes it. And that's the right thing to do. Yeah. But afterwards, it's like 
this doesn't make everything cool between us. Right. And it doesn't fix him. Him and Penny start talking again, but there are doubts whether or not they'll ever be able to be a couple again. Yeah. Um, And it's everything's kind of ends in a big question mark, which honestly, I feel like is an honest way to end a story about race relations. Um, A refreshingly honest way to end a story about race relations. Yeah. Uh, This book just seemed way more mature than I was ever expecting it to be. The last things that Neil and Andy say to each other in this book are, oh, this is so sad. I'm reading it now. (laughs) You probably think this makes it even, Andy burst out suddenly. He glared at Neil, but it doesn't. Neil has finally just like not only come like intervened so that it would be like a more fair fight if Charlie and Jerry like did try to attack Andy, but he also tells them off verbally. Yeah. Finally. You probably think this makes it even, Andy burst out suddenly. He glared at Neil, but it doesn't. I know it, Neil agreed. He sighed. And I know saying I'm sorry doesn't make any difference either, but I swear I am. I'll never stop being sorry. And whether you want me to or not, I'll stand by you whenever Charlie gets the urge to break heads. Andy looked away. He seemed tired and sad, and most of all, alone. Why is it so hard? He whispered as though to himself. There was no answer Neil could give. He wished there was, but he couldn't find one. He hunched his shoulders inside his jacket and squinted against the sunlight. I guess I'll see you around, he said. Andy picked up his French horn case. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) That's all you get, 12-year-olds. Yeah, it really is kind of beautiful. I mean, it's so sad, but... Now it's like we're on to, on to the next story. I'm curious <laughs> to see if we get any because you never know what you're going to get in the next book. Like especially now where we do have a few continuing sagas. Like are are threads of this going to continue into the next story, or is Andy going to be like disappeared into the ether forever? Like are we never right. going to hear from Andy Jenkins again because he's not right. a main character? Well, I wanted to ask because you said a couple books ago, Patty Jenkins was in it. So is Patty yeah. Jenkins Andy's sister? Or? They're cousins. Cousins. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. And Andy was mentioned in that book. But it was kind of like, Patty, Patty Jenkins had been mentioned before in passing, but it was a little mm. bit of a like, oh, hey, by the way, <laughs> there are non-white <laughs> characters that we haven't told <laughs> right. you about. They've been here all along. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Do you have any final thoughts i feel like we really brung this wheel i feel like we took the book and like squeezed it like we wrung it out like everything out of it i feel exhausted i feel surprised great i feel i do feel a little bit proud of this stupid weird book it has not great ratings on goodreads when i finished it i was pretty curious as people how to see how people had reacted to it but i didn't want to look it up before we we did this yeah um but I would, I mean, I would imagine it wouldn't have good reviews more just because I would, it's like, I feel like if, you know, you get, you order a cupcake and then there's like, you know, salt in the middle. Like you there's bite salt into it. And also like the, the big, I think a big mark against this book is that it doesn't really end. Like the right. scene that I just read is very beautiful in terms of like marching into the sunset, but the book doesn't leave you with much more than that. So we don't. Right. We just kind of switch over to the next story. So it feels very, like, shockingly incomplete. Right. I guess I'd so, say. Yeah, if you've read the first, what, 68 and you're enjoying yourself, I can understand <laughs> this being a real letdown. <laughs> right, um, right. 
but as someone who just is kind of just coming into it and doing it because uh, my friend has a cool podcast, <laughs> I was really like, holy shit, this is this is way better than it has any right to, to be in terms of trying to really tackle what is an intractable issue and letting it be intractable, as uncomfortable as that might be. But I feel like that's the reason why people don't like talking about these issues and this stuff is because there aren't easy solutions. There aren't simple ways that you can finish it yeah. in 120 pages. Right. And I think there's a certain degree of bravery that they that they let that be. I kind of want to know how this snuck past an editor. Like it feels like this was like a mistake that wasn't supposed to get out of the uh, factory. <laughs> And I think that even goes into the what they have Elizabeth say to Neil at the end. Like, it doesn't feel awesome to me to have her tell him, like, hey, listen, what really matters is what's in your heart. And you can't undo what you did. There's nothing good about it, I think is what she says. There's nothing good about what you did. But mm. you can kind of move on from this. And even though it's weird to see Neil not get more of a comeuppance and sort of get forgiven... Well, I have to say that I, I do kind of agree at core with what she's saying, which is like, well, I what are you going to do? Like, you, you have to keep on living your life. So what kind of life are you going to live? Are you going to try to make up with people? Are you going to try to be better? Or are you going to sit on the sidewalk until you decay? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I agree with Elizabeth also. At times now, I feel like we're supposed to just paint people with a, with a broad brush right. and just say, you know, this person did this terrible thing, so they there should be no future for them, or there should be no yeah. You know, and, and and I think the book does a pretty good job of showing how Neil gets to where he is, and then having him realize where he is. I mean, I think he says he's just like you know, he thought I was Charlie until I was Charlie. Like he almost says that exactly. Like he's pretty self reflective and, yeah. and pretty self aware as a character. Yeah, um, like and I think that was, that's a. I was so mad at him for thinking that I was like Charlie that I became like Charlie. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, like that's to me that's a good arc, right? That's a good character arc for him to go through this whole thing and realize it. It's not what we want people to be like, but unfortunately, it's how most of us are. <laughs> like that's the shitty part yeah. that maybe people don't like thinking about, but that's how most, regardless of color, right? That's how most people are. We are shitty until we don't have to be. And hopefully we can get to a point where we realize that we're shitty. And then that is when things can can start to change. Yeah, absolutely. And the other piece on top of that that is so true and is embodied in, in Neil's, Neil's story and Andy's actually is that whatever's happening to you personally always feels bigger than politics bigger than the like bird's eye view of the situation so as soon as neil starts getting like butthurt about andy maybe not liking white people (laughs) and identifying so strongly as a white person that he takes that personally even though that's really not how it's meant he can't see that you know yeah and i even i can relate to that you know i read things about white people sometimes and i have to tamp down that that feeling (laughs) of like but but I, what? And then it's like, it's okay. You know, you, you yeah. know what, what, you also know what white people are like. Like you're, you can observe that too. And then think about yeah. how it affects me in my life. 
you know, be vigilant, but there's no, you don't have to take everything personally. And Neil, yeah. it's hard not to take things personally. And Andy takes things personally too, in a way that's also yeah. very understandable. And, and he ends up apologizing to Neil for it, you know, because he doesn't understand the full picture of things, but yeah. The, the thing that I keep wondering about at the end of the book, and you, you said specifically is you said, you know, whatever your personal feelings about something always ends up trumping politics and your beliefs and stuff like that is, and I think, I think Penny's the one who alludes to it is would it have been better for Neil not to say anything to Andy? Cause you think about it, right? Like we all, you know, does Andy deserve to know the truth? Sure. Is it dishonest for Neil to act as though he didn't do what he did and kind of get away with it? Sure. But, Andy wins a science award and yeah. then immediately after finds out that like what seems like his best friend was one of the racists who attacked him. Yeah. And then I kept thinking like, what's Andy going to be like in 10 years? Like now he's going to have no trust in white people like yeah. at all. Like how is that going to intru- like yeah. change his life going forward? On some level is Neil just doing it to absolve his own pain and guilt He's not thinking through, like, like it feels like empirically the quote unquote right thing to do, but it, in reality of it, it does feel like it's more for Neil than for Andy. And and Penny says something that alludes to that. I don't remember exactly what she says, but she says something about this is about you trying to make yourself feel better. This isn't actually for Andy. And I will admit, I wanted, I wanted Neil to say it that he would have to face the consequences. Yeah. And narratively, it felt like what needed to happen, right? The, the writer part of me kicked in. But I, I was kind of left going, like, was Penny right? Would it have been better for Andy, for Neil never to tell? Was he fortunate enough to be unconscious when his, when his best friend attacked him and not remember? Would his life be better without that knowledge? And that is the kind of moral question that Sweet Valley High should bring every uh, book. That is, <laughs> <laughs> think of the twelve-year-olds that, uh, that could be could have been formed if they'd all been this this intellectually uh, rigorous. I wish I could talk to a thirteen-year-old in nineteen ninety-two reading this book and just see what <laughs> what her response to all of this would have been. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what a teenager or a twelve-year-old would think reading it now. That's true. This could have taken place in 2020. <laughs> Except for There's the fact that the word it. blacks was, was like yeah. blacks <laughs> as opposed to black people was used a lot and it was never capitalized. Other than that, yeah. there's pretty, there's not much about this book that wouldn't still be relevant to That's a community true. like Sweet Valley in 2022. Totally true. Uh, but look, I cannot <laughs> thank you enough for doing this with me. Thank you so much. Um, your perspective is invaluable, but also it's just fun to talk about. This book was very special, and this episode was very special. <laughs> I, I am, I am glad you asked me. I am always around and willing to to do it again. And yeah, I, I mean, if I knew this was the book, I would have like been knocking down your door, like you know. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. I, listen, yeah, I, 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 I'm one of those people who actually likes talking about this stuff. I think, I think we all need to talk about it more. And I. Uh, 
I like having difficult conversations. For well, good. We can well, talk about how I'm messed up later. And how it's yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you were asking me before we started, like, how serious do you want to get? Because the show can be kind of frivolous. But I also, like, it's important to me that the show is about this if the books go there, you know? Yeah. Which is part of why I, you know, get bent myself bent into, you know, shapes about... I invented a new phrase there. Okay. I get myself all bent <laughs> out of shape trying to figure out how I'm going to program the shows because I, I just couldn't imagine whatever this book was going to be. I couldn't imagine like, Oh, well let's just have two white people talk about it, you know? Yeah, and yeah. then it would have been the same thing as what's happening in the books, right? Where you have <laughs> Jessica and Elizabeth trying to figure out white privilege together in their, in the bedroom <laughs> on the second floor of their Spanish styled home, you know, yeah, in yeah. suburban California. So, uh, Anyway, so but I'm glad thank you, I'm glad that you're excited to talk about it cuz I'm also interested in talking about it but like it's got to be you got to have the conversation partner that's going to contribute to the yeah. perspective so Yeah. Um, no, but, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Would 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 do yeah. it again in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, maybe next time we can go back to just some dumb dumb shit. I don't know. What <laughs> um, do you think? Would you rather I find a very special one for you next time, bring in the big guns? Uh, or do you want to talk about some silly stuff? I don't know. I kind of. I think I want. I think I want another big gun episode if I can. Pick. All right, on the record. I'll, I mean, I'll do the. I'll do the silly one, but uh, yeah, I like. I like. Uh, well, listen, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Listen, this is. Let's get into the, the, mouth. <laughs> the, the, the David Lynch episodes where you get into all the dirty underneath cities, yes. uh, Sweet Valley. I, I would be. I, I'm definitely interested in looking at more into the seedy underbelly. Of sweet Yay. Valley, no matter right. well, where it is. I'm sure you'll have your opportunity. Um, do you have <laughs> right, anything you cool. want to tell the listeners about before we sign off? Uh, sure. So I think the last time I did this, I was uh, I just released a comic book uh, called mm-hmm. Zara the Shadow Flame. And I now have a feature film, my first feature film on the festival circuit called Feel Like Ghosts. We recently played at the American Black Film Festival uh, in Miami, where we actually won two awards. We won the award for Best Screenplay and Best Director. Ooh, that's you. Yeah, that was me. That was (laughs) me for both of them. And um, we will, but it really, I cannot stress enough how much the movie was a team effort, like, you know, including you. Uh, You helped me rewrite. Yeah, not only are you in it, but you really helped me rewrite the first act after we'd already shot some of the first act. Um, Oh, that's great. Some of that I'm, best screenplay. And when I say I'm in it, guys, I'm a I'm a background actor in it. I'm not I don't have like lines or anything. That's true. But she did, like I said, help me rewrite the first act after we realized that we needed to rewrite the first act. So um some of that a, a part of that best screenplay award, uh, I'll have to break it off and give it to you. Um Well, likewise. Callie was a big help to me in the uh creation of my own uh, play that became a movie. And the mirror game. So thanks. Another Callie. another great film. But yeah, we actually will be screening at the DTLA Film Festival in September. Um, I don't know our exact screening date yet, but I'm, hopefully it'll be announced soon. And so, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And, you know, we'll see what exciting. else happens with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Watch this space or watch us face. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess people can, if you follow us at, uh, at feel like ghost movie on Instagram great, or feel like ghost.com, you can check out uh, more information about the film. I highly recommend you do that everybody. And um, no extra drama this week because we had such a very special main episode, but uh, we'll be coming to you before too long with the thrilling conclusion of season seven, book 70. 
Hey, and Callie, hey, do you want to tease the listeners with what's going to happen in uh, Ms. Quarterback? Will Ken Matthews face stiff competition at the quarterback tryouts? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 70, Ms. Quarterback. And we're on to the next one. <laughs> MS Quarterback, that's uh, progressive. Yes, yes, just like Ms. Magazine. <laughs> All right. There you go. Thanks again, Callie. Gladiators, we made it. Now we're on back to some, I don't know, it's, it's still going to be issues, but a little bit more, a little bit goofier issues. Uh, until next time, remember you can email me, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. Follow the show at Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram or at Sweet Valley on Twitter. And above all, tell a friend. Tell a friend to listen to the show. I love it when you do that. Uh, and I mean, if I don't think you need to look too hard for a lesson from this book, but how about we go with uh, part of being an ally is not punching your unconscious friend of another race. So it's a really good, it's a really important lesson. Don't punch your unconscious non-white friends. Yeah. Or it's true. White friends. I'm going to go out. Of, I'm going to go on a limb and say, don't punch your unconscious white friends either or conscious. Don't punch your friends. Oh, we simplified it. Sometimes you just got to remove a word. The lesson of this week's episode, don't punch your friends. Oh, oh, oh. I made it better. Don't punch. Don't punch. Don't punch. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Bye. Well, wait. This is going to be a weird one. Um, but in a good way, in a good way. And also, I can curse, right? This is not. Oh, yeah. I can't remember. Okay, cool. Absolutely. I thought so, but I just wanted to check again. Okay.